Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. It's Thursday, January 30th. I'm Gideon Resnick. And I'm Aaron Ryan, filling in for Akila Hughes. And this is What a Day, keeping you in the know when your nation's president does bad grammar. Does bad grammar? Yeah, that's what I said. But I, how do you, no, you don't speak good. On today's show, we'll bring you an update on the coronavirus and how epidemics have been handled in the recent past, then why The Guardian newspaper will no longer run ads for fossil fuel companies, plus some headlines. Good morning. A plane carrying about 200 Americans evacuated from Wuhan, China, landed at an Air Force base near Riverside, California on Wednesday. The passengers have been screened for and are currently being monitored for coronavirus, but none have tested positive yet. Again, and I cannot stress this enough... Good morning. Good morning to you and all. As of Wednesday night, there are more than uh, 7,700 coronavirus cases in at least 20 countries, including five cases in the United States. All of the more than 170 deaths from the disease have occurred on mainland China. China's taking unprecedented measures in the face of all of this. 50 million people are under travel restrictions. Wuhan is on lockdown. Stores and markets are closed down to stem the spread of the disease. The World Health Organization has yet to declare this a global health emergency, but they're meeting again today to vote on that decision. Okay, and now I'm worried about getting coronavirus on my flight to Iowa this weekend because that's just how my brain works. One half is worrying. The other half is relating things I hear to my personal life and well-being. <laughs> if I wear one of those surgical masks, though, I assume I'm, I'm good to go. Okay, first of all, this is like could not be less about you. Second of all, uh, experts don't think those surgical masks really... They're not sure they do anything. Okay. Well, you know what? Uh, do you mind taking over this? Because I'm I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna cancel the flight, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna walk out of here. Okay. I cannot think of a worse excuse to not do your job than coronavirus, especially right now. Well, then what else is? Okay. Aaron? Okay. I want everyone who is thinking of calling in coronavirus to work to take a few deep cleansing breaths because the coronavirus outbreak is impacting the lives of millions of Chinese people. That's true. Mm -hmm. But right now, I want to talk about the way that we're handling information about the coronavirus here in the States. Not well for me. As of right now, the CDC says the risk of a coronavirus outbreak here is low, but we are at high risk for something that can go viral a lot more easily than airborne disease, and that is misinformation and fear-mongering disinformation do you remember Ebola? I actually do. And and when we were talking about it earlier, I was like, wow, that was a whole era in 2014 where you basically couldn't turn on any cable news channel without hearing people freaking out about it, that it was literally you know, knocking at the doors and coming to get everyone. Right. In 2014, thousands of people in West Africa were infected with Ebola and more than 10,000 people died in the two years between 2014 and 2016. But only four cases were confirmed in the U.S. But that didn't stop people like Rand Paul, Chris Christie. Remember Chris Christie? Oh, yeah. And Donald, and Donald Trump from resorting to 
absurd hysterics like blaming President Obama for the spread of the disease. Good and normal. Uh, demanding healthcare workers be unconstitutionally quarantined when they return from West Africa and generally spreading fear in order to serve their political ends. And oh, did I mention a midterm election was coming up? Those two things don't seem related to me at all. Oh, because it was. Uh, and there are people in the U.S. in 2014 who used the epidemic in West Africa as an opportunity to help their political careers rather than use it as a call to help millions of Africans who were impacted. And at this current moment, at least, it seems that Trump is comparatively calmer. Yesterday, he tweeted that he had been briefed on the coronavirus outbreak and that he was confident that officials were monitoring it. And to prove that this meeting happened, Trump tweeted four photos of men sitting around a conference table. Also, to be honest, the way in which I prove that I attended work in the face of grave danger, like the cold, falling into a manhole, things of this nature. Okay, you live in Los Angeles where it's never cold and there nobody ever walks anywhere. I am calling BS on that. I could contract a cold, though. Oh, okay. Sure, sure. Um, well, President Trump was singing a little bit of a different tune during the West African Ebola outbreak of 2014. Here are some tweets from the former future president. Um, the U.S. cannot allow Ebola, all caps. Ebola infected people back. People that go to faraway places to help out are great, but must suffer the consequences. Okay. Yeah, I don't follow the logic in that one. That's a roller coaster ride. The U.S. must immediately stop all flights from Ebola-infected countries, or the plague will start and spread inside our borders. Act fast. Okay. So, wait a second here. If there were only four confirmed Ebola cases in the United States in 2014... And as of right now, there are five coronavirus cases in 2020. Bear with me here. Okay, there no, I know what you're saying. Corona- yeah, yep, okay, more okay, coronavirus okay. cases than there were Ebola cases. I, I mean, yes, like add this to the massive pile of things that President Trump is a hypocrite about. But overall, both of those numbers are very small. And a much bigger public health concern is unfolding right now. We're in the middle of a really nasty flu season. Um, we're experiencing a huge outbreak of the flu. 15 million people have been infected and more than 8,200 people have died so far, according to the CDC. So tell me if this comforts you, Gideon. You are much more likely to die from the flu than you are to get coronavirus. Why, why would something like that comfort me? You're just you're replacing one disease that could potentially hurt or kill me with another one that is much more likely to hurt and kill me. The only thing that I'm getting out of this is you're saying that I can cancel going to Iowa. I don't need to come into work anymore because I'm going to get the flu. No. Okay. What you need to do is just wash your hands, get your flu shot. Everybody should get their flu shot and quit whining about Iowa because Iowa is lovely. Ordinarily, when a news organization is in the news, it's not for a good reason. It could be that they mistakenly referred to Britney Spears as Bryony Spear. That really happened. Or, you know, laundering false justifications for a generational catastrophic forever war. The, the two options. <laughs> Either you, mis- you misspell Britney Spears' name or you plunge us into a generation of chaos. Yeah. Sure. Equal <clears throat> stakes. But yesterday, The Guardian announced that it would no longer accept advertising from fossil fuel extractive companies. They're the first major news organization to do so. So, Gideon, how did they come to this decision and what does that actually mean? Basically, they said that their own reporting was justification for the choice, that it had been apparent for so long in the stories that The Guardian was putting in their own papers and website that fossil fuel companies were actively preventing any sort of meaningful climate action as as we know from this kind of reporting, and that 
it became difficult for them to then maintain the fact that they were taking in that money from those very companies and, you know, reporting on all of the pernicious effects that they've had on the rest of the world. In practice, though, what it's actually going to mean is it'll apply to the Guardian websites and the apps and the print publications. So pretty holistic. Okay, so there's not going to be any more. What's all this then? Petrol is bloody great. That's my British accent. Yeah. Uh, when I'm thumbing through the British newspaper, The Guardian. Yeah, there, there's not going to be a chimney sweep who uh, jumps off the page while you're reading your British newspaper that you get to your house. Okay. Um, yeah, just reassurance there for you and the rest of the listeners. Uh, but the company is acknowledging that in making this decision, there could be financial ramifications, obviously. And they said that you know part of the reason for that is that last year, 40% of The Guardian's revenue came from advertising, of which this would definitely be a part. And they're hoping that in order to kind of offset that, that they could attract new advertising partners who aren't you know, Upton Sinclair oil baron types and mm-hmm. are maybe trying to do something good and, uh, you know, more reader support for their own reporting. And then, you know, maybe it'll level off a little bit. I mean, that's a good point. As a reader, I don't really like to read an article about how the world is on fire and then see next to it an advertisement for a company that sucks the blood out of the earth and then spits it back in my face in the form of poison. But just you, just, no, no just one else feels that maybe way. it's just me. Yeah. I'm not like the other girls, but devil's advocate here. Um, isn't it kind of punk for a newspaper to take a bunch of money from an oil company and then write stories about how much they suck? No. Why not? I, this, the stakes are far too high for, you know, this galaxy brain post that you have <laughs> that you're conceiving right here on air. You should be ashamed of yourself. Um, it does certainly seem like a start what The Guardian is doing. Greenpeace called the move a, quote, promising sign, but they pointed out that at this juncture, there are more ad dollars and eyes that are on social media than an isolated website or publication like The Guardian. So what they're saying is that you need to have social media platforms taking a similar pledge like this. But to give you an idea of how much money these fossil fuel companies actually are spending, according to Greenpeace as well, since the Paris Climate Agreement, the world's five largest publicly traded oil and gas majors have collectively spent more than a billion on misleading climate lobbying and branding activities. Hmm. And if they're doing stuff like that on social media platforms, and even if those places are regulating what they think is political speech, it's not they're not doing something that's specifically for fossil fuel companies, Mm -hmm. which is inherently political if you're telling people, hey, no, this is all good. Um, And The Guardian also said, though, that this new policy is not going to apply to high carbon emitting industries like car manufacturing and travel. Again, when you talk to your British chimney sweep, he can point you to the direction of a, a lovely Chrysler or a Rolls <laughs> Royce. Um, and, you know, the reasoning for that is that that would just be too financially damaging. And then they get to a point where they, they are not able to actually make the news product they want to make. Oh, well, such are the limitations in life under capitalism, comrade. Yes. Um, Though The Guardian, even before this, has been reflecting and changing how they cover the climate emergency, right? Yeah. And it's interesting you chose that terminology. I didn't choose it. I read it off the page. I didn't choose it. You wrote wrote it down. It's always a thing where it's like, what if the listeners knew? What if listeners knew how how the sausage was made? I'm tired of lying to them. Fine. Uh, you wrote it down and I read it. Fine. So quit complimenting. There, did that me. enjoy? Did that make your morning commute better? I hope so. <laughs> That's what Aaron Ryan brings you. Uh, yes. It, in in all seriousness, 
climate emergency is derived from uh, the Guardian making an executive choice to change their style guide in October using phrases like, quote, climate crisis or, quote, climate emergency, as opposed to climate change more accurately reflects the speed and danger of the uh, emergency, as it were, you know, globally. And beyond just the language that they're using, they also, in the style guide, were talking about not just having that kind of old school image of a polar bear that is very sad and distressing on melting glaciers, but rather actual imagery of the way that a climate crisis is impacting the nation in the articles that they actually publish. Hmm. Those polar bear pictures, though, always seem to send a little bit of a mixed message, though, because on one hand, like they're, you know, really cute, majestic animals. And it's sad uh, that they're having trouble getting food. But on the other hand, polar bears naturally prey on people. So I don't want that polar bear to get me, you know. Are you are you, do you work at Exxon? Is that is your six hours of, of podcasting? Yeah, you doing the, the Exxon show and the BP show. Yeah, and... the X Factor, it's called. And it's just me talking about how much I love oil. Um, but, you know, it's good. Just all joking aside, it's it's obviously good that any institution would try to do something because something is more than nothing. And we've been doing nothing for a really long time. So, Gideon, can you give us a sense of how the fossil fuel divestment movement is going? Well, for the people that have been at this for a long time, it definitely is gaining momentum. For instance, here's Bill McKibben, the famous American environmentalist and leader of the organization 350.org, talking about this very issue and how he wanted it to gain traction seven years ago. These companies now have, this industry has five times as much carbon in its reserves as the most conservative scientist on Earth says would be safe to burn. Once you know the numbers, there's no longer any sort of doubt about how this story comes out. Unless we rewrite the script, if we follow their business plan, the planet tanks. That's why there's this upsurge, not only around divestment, but around things like the fight against the Keystone Pipeline. You know, we're going back to Washington for the biggest climate rally probably ever in this country a week from Sunday uh, uh, on the Mall in D.C. It's uh, it's it's coming up fast and it's got to come up fast, this movement, because unlike other problems we face, there's a time limit on this one. If we don't get it right soon, then we don't get it right at all. To his point of things kind of coming up fast, you know, this didn't shift overnight. And it's not like every company that's making choices now is doing it out of the goodness of of their heart. It's um, because, you know, uh, they've been put in positions where people refuse to let them off the hook. And there is like a sustained pressure on it. Um, As an example of the way that things have changed since... McKibben was talking there and our present day, you know, the Rockefeller family recently announced that it was divesting its family charities. The University of California system cut fossil fuel companies from its pension fund and endowment. And there are similar movements targeting Yale and Harvard at the moment. So I don't think that he or anyone else necessarily thinks, you know, things are over far from it. But that's sort of a, a way to look at, you know, how the movement has changed even in in the span of seven or eight years. Mm -hmm. And even on a smaller scale, I was just reading yesterday an article about how Nordstrom is about to start offering secondhand clothing for shoppers. Um, They'll join Macy's, JCPenney, and Madewell and a bunch of other places because shoppers prefer the more eco-friendly option to buy clothing that has been gently worn rather than purchasing new clothing. Uh, Hopefully other news outlets can follow The Guardian's lead on this and we won't live in a future world that is dependent on modern oil. Parents. 
And now for some ads. What a day is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She absolutely deserves the best. And that's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, your wife, your auntie, even your granny, okay? Anyone who deserves flowers in your life Mm -hmm. doesn't have to be holiday specific. You get flowers, you're getting flowers, everyone's (laughs) getting flowers. (laughs) Go to books.com and use promo code WAD for 25% off. That is B-O-U-Q-S dot com, promo code WAD, books, promo code WAD. What a Day is brought to you by Fast Growing Trees. Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers. They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Plus, Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. We love fast-growing trees here. I keep telling you that the many plants that I've gotten from these folks are yet hanging on. Um, And that's not because I have a green thumb, okay? This spring, fast-growing trees, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code WAD at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using the code WAD at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com, code WAD. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. What a Day is brought to you by Ulta Beauty. This AAPI Heritage Month, Ulta Beauty is celebrating the joy of belonging, belonging to a community composed of intricate connections, belonging to our past and our future, to the heritage and birthright that is beauty. Ulta Beauty shines a light on the AAPI community, passing the mic to brand founders and creators to tell their stories centered on heritage, joy, and beauty. They carry AAPI-owned and founded brands like Live Tinted, Peach and Lily, Glamnetic, Tree Hut, and more. Shop AAPI-owned and founded brands at Ulta Beauty Stores and Ulta.com. Let's wrap up with some headlines. Headlines. Yesterday, Trump lawyer and friend O'Creeps, Alan Dershowitz, tried out a new approach to proving the president is innocent by arguing that it's okay to do something corrupt if you're trying to win a re-election. He said, quote, if the president does something that he thinks will help him get elected in the public interest, that cannot be the kind of quid pro quo that results in impeachment. Okay, galaxy brain. Wow. Yeah. You accuse me of galaxy brain, but that is an extremely galaxy brain moment. You guys are sipping from the same cauldron, ma'am. House manager Adam Schiff was not convinced by this, uh, by this sort of argument of, quote, when the president does it, it's not illegal. Also yesterday, the White House issued a formal threat to uh, former National Security Advisor John Bolton, man with a large mustache, a war walrus, if you will, to keep him from publishing his book, which, as we mentioned earlier this week, revealed that Trump did withhold aid from Ukraine. In a letter to Bolton's lawyer, the White House claimed that there was a significant amount of classified information in the book. But again, the big headline here is that, you know, there are people in the White House that are reading books. Or there is out there somewhere a version of John Bolton's book that is all pictures. Oh, 
I, I really want to read that That's book. That's the only version that I would buy. Yeah, I would totally buy a John Bolton picture book. Uh, speaking of books, Flatiron Books, publishers of the controversial new novel American Dirt, announced that they'll be canceling the rest of its book tour, pointing to safety concerns. But a better reason that the book tour should be canceled is that the book was a bad idea. The book, which was written by Janine Cummins, tells a fictional story about Mexican migration. Cummins, who is white, was criticized by readers and writers of color for using harmful stereotypes about Mexicans, fetishizing the pain of her characters and oversimplifying a very real struggle for her own profit. Despite all this, Oprah announced earlier this week that she plans to discuss American Dirt in her book club. This drew a response yesterday from a group of over 80 writers, many of whom are people of color, asking Oprah to reconsider. The whole thing serves as a reminder of precisely how white the publishing industry currently is, and that there are some great Latinx authors that you could be reading this year instead. Like, for example, Valeria Luiselli, Fernanda Melchor, and Noe Alvarez. All right, we get it. You read. Very, very cool. Uh, the, the right is getting better at comedy, and it's making liberals nervous. And by comedy, I mean posting decade-old memes. And by nervous, I mean file copyright infringement lawsuits. It all started when Republican Iowa representative and sunburnt racist Steve King (laughs) did a fundraising post using the Success Kid meme. You definitely recognize this image. Unfortunately, I cannot show it to you, the limitations of audio, but it shows a one-year-old boy on the beach staring at the camera and squeezing his fist with the intensity of Congressman John Delaney doing an ab roll. Good luck to you, sir, Mr. Delaney. When Success Kid's mom, Lainey Griner, found out about King's Post, she sued, calling for the removal of the image and a refund of the money it helped raise because, quote, bigotry is just the antithesis of what we want to be associated with with this meme. I agree. I think memes should be fun and inclusive. The post has been deleted, but King has yet to respond to the lawsuit. He's probably busy trying to make crazy frog about white nationalism. White nationalism already has its own crazy frog. There's no need for a second frog to join the ranks. Guys, when I hear Santa Cruz, I think Spirit Cruise. And that's because on Tuesday, the City Council of Santa Cruz, California, voted to decriminalize psychoactive plants and fungi by making arrest for adult use or possession one of the city's lowest law enforcement priorities. I'm already on my way there with peanut butter sandwiches and a suitcase full of soft clothes. How did you know? I want to know how did you know this? I just know. Council members who support the law touted the benefits of psychedelics for treating PTSD, addiction, and depression, and for fostering creativity and connection with nature. These council members must have run on a platform of being chill. Denver was the first U.S. city to decriminalize magic mushrooms last May, followed by Oakland. And there's now a bill in front of the Vermont state legislature that aims to decriminalize psychedelics statewide. The Santa Cruz law is well-timed because there's still a few weeks to take advantage of it while Cats is still in theaters. How did you know? Robo-tripping with Rum Tum Tugger. (laughs) And those are the headlines. That's all for today. If you like the show, make sure you subscribe, leave a review, eat our peanut butter sandwiches, wink, wink, and tell your friends to listen. By the way, if you're into reading and not just everything that Dr. Bronner wrote on his amazing soap like me, What a Day is also a nightly newsletter. Check it out and subscribe at crooked.com slash subscribe. I'm Erin Ryan. I'm Gideon Resnick. And And that's that's how we we end up back back where it all started. Tom Hooper's hit movie Cats, starring starring Britain's Britain's own James Corden. He's a chubby cat, isn't it? No.
What a Day is a product of Crooked Media. It's recorded and mixed by Charlotte Landis. Sonia Tun is our assistant producer. Our head writer is John Milstein, and our senior producer is Katie Long. Our theme music is by Colin Gilliard and Kashaka. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made in Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made in. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made in Cookware. Shop chef-quality pots and pans at madeincookware.com. I'm Oren Siegel, and I've been fighting extremism, anti-Semitism, and hate for more than 20 years. You should subscribe to our podcast, Extremely, to get a unique perspective on the daily work and the people who have dedicated their lives to exposing, fighting, and disrupting extremism, anti-Semitism, and all forms of hate. We bring you the stories of people and communities not only impacted by hate, but who offer new perspectives and ways to push back. You can find Extremely wherever you listen to podcasts.